and I have open in another tab uh, on my browser Social Blade, a uh, real-time yeah, Utah same. subscriber count. So um, it's currently at 99824. Yep, so, I see it. Yeah, things have really slowed down. Um, man, the algorithm really likes if you post weekly videos. Um, it does, yes. Yeah, as soon as I stop for the summer, I'm taking a break for the summer, things mm -hmm. like super slowed down. So um, we'll see. We'll see if we can make that magic number during our talk. <laughs> You're telling me, yeah, I post like once a month. I try to, although yeah. not all the time. Yeah. And it's awful. <laughs> the algorithm doesn't like it at all. I know, yeah. It's, it's kind of unfair. I guess you have to be like really famous. Like I know uh, Kurzgesagt. They do like, yeah, yeah, they do like, you know, once every month and, you know, they're fine. But I guess they built up their millions of, of viewers first. But yeah, Smarter Every Day does once a month too. Yeah. Uh, CGP Greg does like once every a half year. a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just living off that initial, uh, you know, fame. Yeah, because he has some videos that got like a ridiculous amount of views. Yeah. Like yeah. a mu music video amount of views. Yeah. And he's like, why why still work and make new videos when i can just live off this so i don't know hello everyone welcome to the youtube history podcast my name as always is m laser and today's guest is uh from the channel he owns the channel you'll switch arts and runs it he also have a has a a company or like he sells charts like historical ones uh and uh i can i call you matt yes you can <laughs> throughout the video would you like to say what you do better than i just did right now <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah company business small business i guess is the right word uh useful charts it's uh you know registered with the government it's all legit uh, i'm not doing anything under the table here um yeah, so I um, create, I design, and then I sell uh, posters, mostly about history. Um, and uh, it, people, uh, teachers, anyone who loves history, um, people buy them. I hear some people put them up in their bathroom so that they have something to look at. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, I sell educational posters. And also makes videos about them. Yes, yes, and that's that's more of a recent thing. Uh, we'll we'll start off with just questioning you and uh, seeing what you do and stuff like that. And since you already mentioned that the YouTube channel you're doing is kind of a recent thing, uh, we'll we'll get to that later and we'll start talking from the start, which I guess is uh, your company where you make the charts. And mm -hmm. I know before then you were a teacher, so how do you go from being a teacher to being like, you know what, I want to make charts? Yeah, well, it was actually kind of a very, very abrupt transition. Um, most of my teaching experience uh, was overseas. Uh, I lived, uh, taught, helped run a school, start and run a school in Sri Lanka. So most of my 20s and early 30s were spent overseas, uh, kind of in a non-Western environment, rural, uh, Sri Lanka, kind of up in the mountains, um, away from That's everything. Northern Sri Lanka, I think? No, it's right in the middle, right in the middle. Oh, right in the middle, okay. Yep, yep. And um, uh, working as a teacher there, 
Um, and then about 10 years ago, I found myself back in Canada. Um, and uh, also, uh, my first wife and I decided to go separate ways at that time, very amicably. Um, and it was also decided that I was going to be the one to take care of our kids who were in elementary school at the time. So all of a sudden, I'm back in Canada. I haven't really lived in Canada for most of my adult life. So it, it kind of felt like a foreign country to me. Um, yes, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a single dad, uh, no job. And uh, okay, what do I do? Um, and I, you know, I'd been a teacher, but uh, I didn't have the qualification, you know, to immediately begin teaching in Canada, right? Because I was mostly teaching ESL um, in another country. Um, yes. So I was like, hey, I'm pretty good uh, using the internet. Let's see if I can make money somehow online. I can work at home. So I started to do some research and, uh, you know, this is 10 years ago. So YouTube, I don't think YouTube, um, it didn't really have this whole subscriber thing that, that we have now. So I didn't really think of YouTube as an option. Uh, but at that time, there was a bunch of websites where they would pay you to write articles about different topics. Um, and as a teacher, uh, I taught a class called Liberal Studies, which was basically a survey course that had a little bit of science, a little bit of history, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of everything. So I had all these, you know, lesson plans and I knew a lot about a lot of different things. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll write some articles and people will pay me. But uh, you know how much they pay you? Like pennies, much? pennies, yeah. right? And so I did the math and I'm like, why this is a waste of my time what if i made my own website uh put some of my information up there um and i i wasn't ever really into writing uh obviously i'm the chart guy i like making charts i like teaching uh using visuals so it's like hmm what if i make a website where it gives information in a chart format and at this time you know i learned about google adsense so i'm like okay i'll put some ads on the website and let's see how that goes. So that's what I did. I actually started useful charts. Uh, I wasn't making posters. It was just a website where you go and the goal was to have like information about everything, but it was in a chart format. So that's why I, I named the company useful charts instead of history charts or something like that. Eventually I ended up focusing mostly, mostly on history, but originally it was supposed to be everything. Yes. Well, you have the periodic stable one, which is far yeah. from history. Yeah. You know so. what? I, I made that just because I got uh, a little bit tired of people saying, hey, have you ever made a periodic table? <laughs> because when it comes <laughs> to charts, that's like the only chart that a lot of people can think of, right? They're like, oh, you sell charts. Yeah. Do you sell periodic tables? I'm like, okay, fine. I'll have to make a periodic table. Um <laughs> So yeah, so I actually started the website about 10 years ago, and it was just online content using Google AdSense uh, to earn money. And it, it took a while, you know, I had to uh, read up about SEO and, and, you know, get traffic going and stuff, but it, it was okay. Um, but then uh, how did you how did you create the website? Did you like code it yourself? Or did you create like, did you create it for a third party software like Squarespace or something? Um, I'm really old school. I'm a little bit older than most of the uh, history YouTubers out there uh, in our network anyway. Um, so I was around since the early days of the web where we just coded everything, you know, oh, okay. uh, you open your text editor and you start with HTML and you go. 
Um, yeah, got it. <laughs> so yeah, I was old school, did it all old school. But continuing from there, so you created this useful charts, you started selling them and um, stuff like that, right? Yeah, well, well, what happened, yeah, I wasn't selling anything yet. It was just online content with ads. Oh, okay, yeah. But I quickly yeah. learned like Google AdSense, it's a really difficult um, thing to rely on because Google changes their algorithm. I mean, YouTube's the same way. And suddenly mm -hmm. like you can go from earning couple hundred dollars a month to zero, um, you know, just because they made an algorithm change and you no longer rank high, right? So it yeah. wasn't consistent. And I was like, okay, I got mouths to feed here, <laughs> rent to pay, yeah. I need something consistent. So I had the idea. Um, oh, and the other thing was certain of my pages were ranking higher than others. So for example, one of those was a timeline that I had made of world history. So, you know, it was ranking pretty well. Uh, so I got the idea, hmm, why don't I make a physical copy of this? So actually what I started with was not posters. I started with uh, eight and a half by 11, uh, which is what we use in North America. I guess it's A4 uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. a like a, Yeah, like an A4 sized chart, like a cheat sheet, a double sided, and then I laminated it. Uh, so it was like a full color chart uh, that I would sell for like $3. So if you, you know, want, you're a student and you want like a cheat sheet of history or some topic, um, you could buy this cheat sheet. Um, I'd seen other companies do that um, and I thought I could do it better. And uh, so I tried that. So I started selling these cheat sheets, uh, laminated A4 sized uh, pieces of paper. Um, so I, that's, that's how I kind of got started selling products that did well, but I noticed something really interesting and this is where things really took off. I noticed that a lot of people were buying two of them. And I was like, oh, why, why are people buying two? They're, they're keeping one and giving one to a friend. Uh, but when I asked a few people what they were doing was because it was double sided, they were putting it on their wall, you know, front side. And then the second one they would flip so that they could see the back. I was like, mm. oh, well, if that's what people want, <laughs> why don't I just design a poster instead, you know, a one-sided poster and make it a little bit bigger. You know, this big light went off in my head. And that was kind of the turning point for me. So I started selling posters instead, and then it really took off from there. Great, yeah. And uh, hearing you say all of this, it really uh, sounds like a typical entrepreneurship story uh, yes back in college i had to read a lot of entrepreneurship books or like people entrepreneurs who wrote books and there was always like that idea like i started with something then i realized people are using it differently yep. than i expected yep. so i switched yep. and uh, that i just want to for the listener uh, say like that's that's very typical when you're it's trying to It's very start a typical. I hear people say, you know, I've got this great idea and they're so into this one idea, but if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to to change it as you go and Pivot. learn learn from what works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um yeah, so that's basically what I did. And I you know, I can tell the story in a few minutes and it sounds great like, "Oh my god, wow, he he actually made money, you know, working at home and and making history products or whatever but you know that was several years um you know summed up in a couple minutes so yeah yeah timelines are oftentimes skewed when it comes to those things yeah and uh even even with like youtube channels some people don't realize 
how some YouTube channels that are big now used to be like had like 5,000 subscribers for four years. Yeah, exactly. I can't think of an exact example, but I know yeah, they're well, out there. And that's that's kind of the second lesson. Look, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you need a bit of patience. Nobody makes millions overnight. Uh, I mean, maybe the odd person does, but most yeah. people, yeah, it's hard work and patience. <laughs> that's like that idea where everybody talks about like, Oh, look at those billionaires. They dropped out of college. Yeah, <laughs> They're billionaires. Yeah. Uh, well, another good, I was listening to Stefan Milo's uh, interview with you. And uh, what did he try to grow? Um, he bought a bunch of seeds. I think um, poppy seeds or something. Yeah, I forget some kind of seeds. And he thought he, you know, he was going to be a millionaire based on these seeds. And then he forgot to water the plants. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Stefan. <laughs> He uh, he had an idea and he tried it. That's what, that's what yeah, you got to do. Yeah, that's right. You live and learn. And then, yeah, exactly. It's, and it, now he's the a... most famous archaeologist on YouTube. <laughs> At least according to his mom. Yeah. Uh, you you got to... There's a saying in Slovakia that uh, geniuses learn from others' mistakes. Smart people learn from their own mistakes. And idiots don't learn at all. Yeah, there you go. So uh, it's kind of a crude saying, but it's used. <laughs> yep. But then uh, you had this business and you were selling charts and yep. uh, you went and decided to create a YouTube channel. And why is that? Yeah. So initially, well, first of all, with the business, my idea again was more broad. Like I wasn't going to focus just on history. I oh, was yeah, going to make charts on a bunch of different topics. But um, it seemed like the history ones were the ones that sold best. And I think the reason for that is there's not a lot of people that make history posters. I mean, if you think about science, um, there's lots of periodic tables, you know, science classrooms, you know, there's always lots of things on the wall, but history classrooms, not as much. I mean, you might have a picture of someone famous or, you know, some sort of meme like poster. Um, but in terms of like information rich um, wall charts, um, not so much in the humanities. So mm -hmm. I kind of found that niche, like nobody's doing history material for the wall. And also, you know, because we live in the, the days of the iPad and the computer, everyone assumes uh, you don't need to buy stuff uh, that are, that's physical. You can just get everything online. But look, people still learn in classrooms. People still live in houses with walls. They want stuff to put on the wall. <laughs> so nobody was doing this. And, and I was. So the history side... Um, the history posters took off. So then I was like, okay, um, let's um, kind of make that my niche. Because um, mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't necessarily a history person. History was something that I liked, but I also liked science and psychology and language and a bunch of things. Um, so I kind of just fell into history because it was what people were, you know, looking for or, or hungry for um, and so forth. So yeah so you fell into history you started doing that and and then the youtube channel yeah so here i was i was selling history posters and actually okay so how did i start my youtube channel i actually started it twice i started it once and then i rebooted it about a year ago so what happened was I actually um i think it was someone from nbc uh, which is one of the major networks in the states uh, sent me an email saying, I have one of your posters and we want to make a video about it, like a documentary uh, using it. Um, and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and they're going to pay me and stuff. 
Um, so I was like, sure. But then they didn't do it. You know, they changed their minds or they went yeah. with something else. And then I was thinking to myself, well, why don't I just do that? You know, I'll use one of my charts. I'll point and click and explain it and I'll put it on YouTube. So I did that. And I did that with each of the charts that I sell. And I thought, hmm, this might be a good way um, to make a little extra money and for people to learn about the charts. So I made about six or seven videos. I started the YouTube channel and then I kind of forgot about it. I didn't know anything about YouTube at that time. I didn't really even understand about subscribers. Um, I didn't check the comments or, or anything. Um, so I think there was a couple times where I swung by the YouTube channel and I was like, oh, wow, I have 200 subscribers. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't even try to get subscribers. Yeah. And then I'd read some of the comments and as you know, YouTube comments can be really annoying. So I was, at first I was like, uh -huh. oh man, I don't even want to read this, these comments. These are awful. <laughs> so then I kind of just, you know, ignored the channel, right? Um, and then a couple years actually passed. Um, so I had these videos up and I wasn't even paying attention to them. And I suddenly noticed, because I do look at the uh, analytics for my website to see like where the traffic's coming from. And all of a sudden I noticed there's all this traffic coming from YouTube, especially for my, um, the Royal family tree that I sell. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so I kind of saw this connection between YouTube and people ending up on my website and I went and looked and there was like, I think a uh, hundred thousand views on that particular video. I was like, Hmm. Uh, but then I watched the video and I realized it's really crappy. <laughs> for one thing the audio was horrible uh, people kept writing in the comments this is a good video but I can barely hear you get a new mic you beep bleep bleep yeah um, yeah <laughs> and I was like okay all right so it was about uh, well it was January of last year I was like okay so this YouTube it's a thing uh, people actually watch it and they click on things and they might even buy things because of it so I was like, okay, let's try to do this properly. So I bought a good microphone, um, learned a little bit about what to do. And now this, this is probably something I shouldn't have done. I deleted everything on my YouTube channel um, and, and decided to start from scratch because I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, these videos suck. Now I kind of wish I had kept them just so you could see the difference or, you know, just for history's sake. Exactly. Um, yeah but I deleted them. I mean, they're gone. I, I, they're not, I can't even find them on my computer. Although, you know what? A couple people, uh, copied them and, and posted them on their own channel. So I think there's one or two out there, like I suppose illegally <laughs> yeah, on someone yeah. else's channel. So anyway, booted. Yeah, exactly. So January last year, I was like, okay, I'm going to totally redo the channel. And so I remade all the videos, a little better quality. Um, although I made another big mistake, uh, which it took me a while to figure out. I got this really nice microphone, but it was almost too good. So it picked up like all these lip sounds and mouth sounds and, and all this sort of stuff. And so people were like writing and saying, Ooh, gross. I can hear you swallow. And I was like, oops, I guess I'm speaking too close to the microphone or, or something like that. Uh, but at least people could hear the video now and it was, you know, a little bit better quality. Um, so what happened was the video 
that I made about the British royal family, once again, that one just really took off. The algorithm liked it. It got a lot of views. Um, the other videos didn't. So I was like, okay, fine. If that's the only one people are going to like, uh, let's do something similar to that. So as you know, I have this big chart of the, all the royal families <clears throat> of Europe. So I'd done a video about Britain. I was like, okay, let's do France. So I did a video on France. And again, it went well, I guess, because nobody on YouTube was doing this sort of thing. So then I did Spain and, and so forth. And people were like catching on to this. Okay, this is, I like family trees. I like monarchies. I like history. This guy's creating this content. So then I just kind of ran with it. So I didn't start the channel because I loved monarchies or even I love genealogy or this was my thing. It was actually just what worked. Yeah. yeah and many... it, yeah, it was what people wanted, I guess, or a small portion of the internet wanted and nobody was doing. Yeah, many people that I talk to from the YouTube history community are, in fact, more in it because uh, they kind of got, I, I don't want to say pushed, but like kind of guided towards it because mm -hmm. there's already so much content on anything else. Like there's so many science channels. There's yeah. so many just like general education channels and stuff like that. And just about like two years ago, there weren't that many history channels. They started to pop up much more in the yeah. past two years. Yeah. And lots of people just got, got put into that niche because there wasn't that many people. So I think Kogito, he, he, in, he didn't intend to have a history channel at all and ended up having one. Uh, Jack Rackham, the same thing. Yep. And uh, there's just a lot of people that get pushed into this because they created other videos, but they saw that the history videos were like the best received because there weren't that many. So it's the same thing with the royal, with the monarchies or the genealogy of monarchies. There's, I, I don't think there's any channel that, that is doing right, that. Right, yeah. And so, here, I'll, I'll flip the tables here. Why do you think that is? Not necessarily the monarchies, but just history in general. Like, I, I thought it was really strange. Like, once I start looking at YouTube, you're right. It's like loads of science channels or general education channels. But history? Like, you go to the history channel, which we all know isn't really history. Um, <laughs> and there just wasn't much out there. Is Why do you think that is? Uh, well... Obviously, it's just speculation. I can't really say for sure without like going into research for a couple months. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's because there wasn't history because history on TV used to be actually good. Mm -hmm. uh, and I dare I say, like you mean even the history the hist channel? Well, on TV in general, but like even okay. the history channel used to have back in the day some good documentaries, some interesting yeah. one. Then they transition into 24-7 World War II channel. Yeah. And then they transition. I call it in, the Hitler channel. Yeah. And then they transition into whatever they transition after whatever history channel is now. But like back in the day, before even the World War II era, history channel actually used to have some interesting documentaries. Their, their uh, fall, rise and fall of Rome documentary isn't half bad. Like mm. it is, it is, yes, it is created like for a popular audience so it has lots of just brief analysis of complicated politics and stuff like that but i feel like if you're making a 
documentary for a broad audience, you kind of have to do that. So I don't blame them for it. And it was very well made and interesting. And even back before then, which I never saw because I'm too young, but like BBC used to have some very good documentaries from what I saw like in the 80s or something. Yeah. And so there used to be good ones on TV. But when you think about science, there weren't that many good science documentaries on on tv that much there was like what discovery channel but that was very right. much like messing around that was yeah. like actual science yeah and then there true. was uh, in europe there was spectrum mm -hmm. uh which was kind of like which turned into more of like uh animal planets rather than science <laughs> yeah so yeah nature on on you know general television it's mostly nature shows you know like exactly. watching a, a lion you know eating a deer for like an hour yeah yeah exactly so i feel like that 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 was the reason why science took off on youtube a lot because there wasn't any good science or or specifically like uh interesting in, in intricate science or like mm. uh more more harder to understand science, like where you need multiple videos to actually understand the concept. Right. Because everything, everything good that was on TV was mostly like popular science, which now on YouTube is starting to happen more and more, ironically. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was why the, the science on YouTube took off and history didn't up until now, because history used to be actually much better than science on TV. But now, History is what we know. <laughs> it is pretty bad on TV. So that's why I feel like history is starting to become much more popular on YouTube as people who used to watch those history documentaries that were actually good on TV start to transition into YouTube because there isn't that much good history anymore happening on TV. Yeah, I also wonder if it's, um, I mean, if you think about people that are into history, history is really... Um you know, heavy on reading. I mean, I mean, all, mm -hmm. all academic topics are. But mm -hmm. if you're a historian, you're expected to read like a lot of books. So history fans, you know, they they kind of are, they, they become very text oriented. Um, whereas I think maybe other topics, you know, they're a little bit more visual. And so people are used to like, you know, using visual material to learn whereas history it's like okay if you want to learn history read a book so maybe you know people aren't thinking okay youtube might be a place to learn history i'm not sure um, exactly yeah that could be a good idea a good idea also but like yeah obviously though there's a there's a, a desire for it I mean, because mm -hmm. our, all our channels are getting views, right? So there are people going to YouTube saying, hey, I want to learn some history on YouTube. I don't want to read a book, although, I mean, you should still read a book. But, you know, they're starting off on YouTube, right? And that's cool. Yeah, uh, there's definitely, as to everything, there's more uh, variables that affected it, not just mm -hmm. the, the thing I said that there was good history used to be on TV and not science. Uh, another reason would be that education around the world has become much more focused on sciences, much, much yeah. more. And uh, I feel like a lot of gateway, for lack of a better word, drugs for people, especially kids that started watching science channels was that they were searching for something to understand for school. And then they yeah. were like, oh, this is very interesting. Let me watch more of this person or more of science yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, the but, whole STEM, STEM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
and and but history is just one in america at least it's just one class you yeah. take like u.s history and then if you don't want to take any more history you don't have to right unless you're in like ib program or something so yeah. uh there isn't that many people actually going out and trying to find something for their school because what they're learning is already very broad so they don't really even need like a video explaining it to be honest True. yeah and so mostly people that show up are the people that actually seek out and were like sought out the stuff and were like okay i want to know something more about this particular part of history well and this is interesting because this is actually <clears throat> why um one of the main post types of posters i make are timelines uh, and this is because i find like general history knowledge in the general public is, is like horrible. Um, the average, I mean, I'm here in North America, right? And I live in Canada, so let's pick on Americans. But the imagine, <laughs> the average Great. American student, you know, you ask them like some things about history and they, they have like no idea of, of the timeline. They're like, uh, the Vietnam War, hmm, was that before or after World War II? You know, or they're like, mm, Queen Victoria, didn't she meet with JFK? Um, you know, and it's like their understanding of history is just all jumbled up, right? They don't know what happened first or next, or, you know, they think the Romans and the, you know, Genghis Khan, you know, were fighting and stuff. So just having a simple, um, timeline where you set out all the events in order, you know, I've had people be like, oh, okay, that's really useful, okay. And to me, it's it's kind of obvious, but for a lot of people, it's like, oh, wow, okay, that's really good. Because in school, they never really learned history that way. It was either, okay, read this book on this topic, um, or, Remember you know, these dates. It was like details, it was like points in time. Like, so everybody knows, okay, Julius Caesar, he got stabbed a bunch of times. Uh, Genghis Khan, you know, he, you know, conquered all of Asia, you know, so they know these points, but they don't know how the points relate to each other. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I try to do with my posters is kind of give a broad overview of history, which actual historians, sometimes they don't like that, right? Because yes. they think, oh, yes, you've, you've, you've simplified everything, you've left out all the detail and all, you've left out this important thing and that important thing. And I'm like, okay, look, I'm not trying to create a chart that's going to teach every single thing everybody needs to know about history. Uh, this is actually, you know, I've created a springboard for, for people. This is just a springboard so that they can say, okay, now I get, you know, the lay of the land. Um, and now I can jump into whatever topic, you know, I'm, I'm interested in. You know, it's like a map. You're going to London for the first time. You get a, a, a map of the tube and then you decide where you want to go from there. So that's what my posters are. It's it's kind of a layout of, of history and you get an idea how events relate to each other in different places. You know, people, I've, I've seen people look at my chart and they're like, oh, the, the Han Dynasty in China was the same time as the Roman Empire. And they're like, whoa, I never knew that. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> now you know that. And, and, you know, they can go from there and learn more. Yeah, as you as you when you mentioned the tube system in London, and I'm actually looking at your chart, I'm like, if you remove these names, it really does look like the map <laughs> of the tube system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of funny, but uh, oh, I lost my trail of thought there. Oh yes, when you were talking about 
historians not really liking your charts mm -hmm. because you simplify stuff. I, uh, I very much, I very much fall into that category sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I try to always tell myself like to not be that because there's always, there's always more layers. So when I'm like, Oh, look at that guy simplifying that when I mm -hmm. do something, which is more nuanced, there's always yeah. going to be like some expert somewhere that's going to look at me. Oh, look at that guy simplifying that. Yeah. There's always that more. And I hate that. And because I know I hate that, I try not to do to other people, but that doesn't right. mean I still don't have those feelings when I look at some people's historic history videos or books. And I'm like, ah, uh, really? But uh, I had a, <laughs> I had a great thought. Uh, when you make your charts and when you sell them, you have like the different tiers. So then have like a $200 historian tier, which like comes with a book of the, of the chart where all the nuance yeah. is explained. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like a, a thousand foot long chart. Oh yeah. Or that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's the real, um, you know, the, the trouble or, you know, the thing that, that I need to do and people who do work like me need to do like people who write, um, I don't know if you have in Europe, but in North America, we have cliff notes and coal notes. They're like, you know, if you're studying a topic, you can you can go to the bookstore and you get just this really thin book that just kind of tells you. Or there's the dummies series, you know, like history for dummies. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I heard of cliff notes. So, yeah. So it kind of like, you know, compresses everything down um, and obviously as as a teacher or you know a serious academic people hate those things right because they're like okay you've cut out all the you know too much but on the other hand they are important um because some students you know the, there's only so much you can fit in your brain uh, and we only have you know so much time to learn certain subjects and if you were to dive deep into every single thing you learn you simply wouldn't have the time um, so early on, you know, in university courses or college courses or in high school, you know, those courses are, are survey courses. Um, and then later, if you decide, okay, I want to specialize in this, that's when you go into it really deep. Um, so for those early on people, you know, they need some sort of like really broad general um, chart or book that's just going to like give them the main points. And it's difficult as someone who creates that content to know, okay, what do I cut out? What are the, what do I keep in? Like, how do you compress 5,000 years of world history onto one page? Because you know that whatever you decide not to put on the chart, someone's going to say, hey, you didn't put this. So your chart sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay the, but i tell them yeah but if i put that point i would have to take out some other point and then some then that person's going to say well why did you take out this or that um so it's a bit of a skill to know what to put on a chart and what to leave off and i also always admit when i talk to people you know what there is a bias I try to be unbiased, but nobody can be totally unbiased. Yes. Um, I come from a Western perspective. I'm obviously going to have a Western bias. Um, I try really hard not to be Eurocentric uh, or to have a Western bias, but I'm going to fail. Um, and so if you recognize that failure, it's the best way to kind of avoid uh, 
you know, being really overly um, Eurocentric or Western centric. So also you can say it's usually like if you have Eurocentric history, it oftentimes sells better. And it's true or anything. So you can just say like it's where the money is. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, I try to find a balance uh, between that, like uh, with my European royal family tree, for example, um, the British royal family is right in the middle. And it's a little bit more detailed than the other countries. <laughs> and I've gotten some complaints like, how come you show, you know, uh, Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle and <laughs> all these people, but you don't show, you know, the wives of the Dutch, you know, <laughs> uncle or something like that. I mean, like, the like Kievan Rus has like one line at the right side. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm like... You know, I'm mostly selling these charts to Americans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're mostly interested in the British monarchy. They know who Meghan Markle is. They don't know who the King of Spain's, you know, auntie is. Um, so, hey, you know, I do a little bit of that. But yeah. on the other hand, I don't try to cater to the market too much. So, for example, yeah, on my world history chart, a lot of people say, um, you should focus more on the last few hundred years and really expand that. You've compressed Europe too much. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I did that on purpose because I don't want to um, emphasize too much um, the last hundred years when Western civilization really dominated because I want to show you that, hey, for like a lot of history, the Egyptians were the ones ruling the roost or you know the medieval period that was really long or look how long china's history is and the whole goal is to give people a perspective so they can compare um i actually had an american look at my world history chart and they said saw american you know it was like really america was like really small at the bottom of the chart and they're like whoa that's really small i thought we were like the the biggest longest most important civilization in all of history i'm like sorry (laughs) truth hurts (laughs) americans need to realize i don't know if this is completely true but it's roughly true i can exactly date check it but americans need to realize like the visigoths rule spain or hispania for as long as usa exists yeah around 300 years and Definitely. nobody even everybody forgets of the Visigoths because they that's got right. conquered by the Moors. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the thing I like to point out the most on my chart that blows people's mind is the distance between uh, Cleopatra and today is actually shorter than the distance between Cleopatra and the moment the pyramids were built. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that it's one like, before. Yeah, yeah, and and when you see it on a page, you know, it, it really strikes you, and that's what I try to do um, with my timeline charts. Um, almost every other timeline, history timeline that you can buy as a poster, they use kind of a um, uh, what do you call the scale um, that uh, gets bigger? Like um, I'm forgetting the word. I lost the word. But anyway, they focus more on the recent past. It's not yeah. an equal equidistant scale, mm-hmm. um, but all my charts are always, they always use an equidistant time scale. So if you're looking at my chart, you know that if you're looking at the top chart, you know, about an inch is the same amount of years as that inch at the bottom of the chart. 
and a lot of people have complained about that because they're like i want to see what happened recently i'm like well fine i have a different chart about that um but in terms of like looking at a large period of time i want you to see that the recent past or the, the you know the recent past is is you know small compared to the distant past that's the whole goal yeah yeah definitely kurt skazak did a video similar to that i think about like, yeah the timing but they also yeah, where did, they like, keep the zooming in though I yeah. think, uh, yeah, they keep like zooming in and that's another way you can do it. I mean, you can do a lot more with video, um, because you're animating it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but when you're printing a poster, at least in this day and age, it doesn't move. Although maybe in the future they'll have posters that, you know, you know, have animations on them. Have posters um, like in Harry Potter paintings. Yeah, exactly. Moves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're not quite there yet. So, um, <laughs> But no, that's one of my big things. Like, I won't budge on that. Um, I always use an equidistant time scale. Yeah, uh, I also wanted to go back a bit and wanted to ask, because you mentioned it a bit, but I wanted to expand on it, like your professional background. So you said you're an educator. Sure. Uh, did you go, did you get a bachelor's in education or a master's uh, or? No, actually, um, my bachelor's degree was in liberal arts, like it's just a general liberal arts degree. I've mm -hmm. always been someone who can't, um, I, I call myself a generalist, like jack of all trades, like I can't just focus on one thing. I also have a bit of ADHD, so maybe that's why. Um, I'm kind of all over the map. So even for my bachelor's, I couldn't commit. I actually changed my major, I think, six times because I couldn't decide what I wanted to major in. So in the end, I actually went for this kind of general degree where uh, it was just called liberal arts. And so you had to take so many units in science, so many units in psychology, so many units in the humanities, so many units in language. Um, so it was kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, but it was just a general bachelor's degree. Uh, it wasn't a teaching degree. And so uh, I wound up teaching overseas because um, uh, teaching, first of all, ESL, like teaching English, um, because you don't need a, a BED or a bachelor's degree in education to do that. Usually I took an ESL, a one year ESL certificate um, and, and went from there. So. OK, cool. And uh, how did you. Uh, because I did go for a little while to an international school in Slovakia, which was very much like American. And we had also some Canadian teachers that came into Slovakia to teach in like, like in an American system. And, but that was like under a overarching company, I think that did that. Like they created like Western style schools in, in, non-western countries uh was this when you went to sri lanka was this like that or did you like because you said you like created the school so it was like a school from scratch i'm not really yeah sure. it, it was like that except uh, it was more charity based um mm -hmm. like we ran the school through a canadian-based charity like people gave donations so it wasn't a money-making thing like a lot of esl okay. schools in a lot of countries they're for profit right yeah um, but this was in a very poor, uh, underprivileged area of Sri Lanka. So it was really based on um, kind of a charity model. Mm -hmm. um, so the school was free. Uh, it was in an area, Sri Lanka at the time was in the middle of a civil war. 
and there was a lot of ethnic conflict. So the, uh, the school was not just focused on teaching language and skills for work, but it, it also had a, like a lot of um, teamwork building and like understand like critical thinking skills so that you, you know, we taught the young people like don't just hate this person because they're a different ethnicity. Yeah, they're the yeah. same as you. And then, you know, we made them do things together and they realized, oh, wow, they are like me. We are friends, you know, so it was kind of uh, it wasn't just education. It was, you know, making a difference in the country um, okay. uh, as a whole. So. How did you how did you end up going there? Was this what something you planned while you were uh, getting your education? <laughs> like, I want to go out there and I want to teach to someone. No, like most things in my life, it was not planned. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I also have a background in psychology. We can we can talk about that later if you want. But and uh, <laughs> and I think you were talking to Stefan again about the difference between you and Cogito, um, and how Cogito was like, you know, kind of he went here or there and and um, <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, was there's less reliable and and stefan was kind of like that too whereas you said you really liked structure and so forth and planning mm -hmm. yes. and i was like instantly like oh okay well on the myers-briggs uh you know you're a j and you're a p um you know or, or we have different terms depending on which personality model you use i'm like ah oh, that's just different personalities anyway all that to say i'm the uh let's call it the cogito stefan milo personality <laughs> Guido Stefan Milo personality. Yeah, where you don't plan, you just go. You just go to South America and what happened to him? I don't know. He got sick or there was an earthquake or something. Um, yeah. So I didn't plan to go to Sri, Sri Lanka, really. Uh, what happened was um, after I finished my bachelor's degree, there was kind of like a, a teach overseas for a year kind of program. Um, and they offered three countries, Jordan, uh, Sri Lanka and Thailand and mm. to be honest in college I didn't know that much about other these countries I didn't know the difference uh, I saw a quick video and Sri Lanka looked nice and green and <laughs> <laughs> nice and I was like oh that looks like a nice place so um, went there with uh, my first wife we just got married after college we're like hey let's do something crazy let's go to a foreign country for a year and teach um, so we did that for a year and came back to Canada. And then uh, we were really unhappy with our job in Canada. And we were like, you know, when we were in Sri Lanka, we were helping people and making a difference in the world. Um, you know, we were thinking like people in their, I don't know how old you are, but when, uh, when you're in your young 20s, you know, you have these ideas about changing the world and all this. So uh, that that was where I went. My, my first wife and I, we felt that way and we're like, hey, let's go back to Sri Lanka, make a difference in the world and so forth. And so we did. Okay. Uh, well, when you bring up the Briggs Myers, I just wanted to let people say I'm an INTJ or something, I think. Yep. Yeah. That, that makes sense based on what I've heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's that. I remember because I had to take it for like an entrepreneurship class or something. And it, it because it then tells you like what what you are and it tells you like more about you depending on how you test it, and yeah. and most of it was pretty accurate. And I was like, yeah, that, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not something that I really care about. Also, no. so like I was like, this was interesting, and then I forgot about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, since you mentioned that, I, I felt like I should. I yeah, I actually, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this later, but um, my PhD, which is in education, uh -huh. uh, it's technically an education, but it's it was really the, the topic itself fell more under personality psychology. Uh, and it, it was based a lot on the Myers-Briggs, even though I will say I'm not a huge Myers-Briggs fan. It is pop psychology. Um, mm. There are better, uh, more scientific ways to measure personality. But uh, if you want to talk more about Myers-Briggs, I, I can do that later. Oh, no, no. I, I just I just thought of that because I also had a couple psychology classes in my bachelor's degree because I have a bachelor's in IT management. And when you take yep. management classes, you have to take also some psychology classes that yep. focus more on, on like managing people and social structures and like conflicts within. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Although uh, I just had a great idea. I should, um, I should make a Myers-Briggs chart of all the history YouTubers <laughs> so that people can say, okay, I want an INTG channel. That's M laser history. You know, I want to whatever with the e P S on the end. Yeah, channel that's Cogito or, you know, <laughs> that'd be funny. Yeah, I was thinking more of like the more prominent one in like the nerd culture is the is the Dungeons and Dragons chart. Oh, yeah. Chaotic evil chaotic versus evil. neutral. Yeah, I like that one, too. next topic was chosen by you and it is uh we already talked about this to a certain extent i guess how studying role lineages is a good gateway to learning about history mm -hmm. uh, so we talked about this a little bit but uh to summarize you basically said that studying role lineages is interesting for people but at the same time it's more it's not as niche, so you, like you don't go as much as into detail as some people would want to, mostly historians. Right. Uh, but that means that it's more accessible to those people that uh, want to know more about it, and then they can like go on and actually buy historical books if they want to learn more about that. So I guess that that's kind of one of those uh, one of the things. Right. Actually, I think earlier I was actually referencing um, the timeline charts I do, which are a yeah. little bit different from the family tree charts. Oh, okay. okay. The, the timeline charts are just there's kind of a line for each country. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like an England and Scotland line and then they merge into Great Britain and then there's a France line and so forth. Um, Slovakia. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, Good point. Good point. It's um, okay. You know, we'll just have that's like why a... I'm I'm making a whole Eastern Europe chart because boy oh boy did I get a lot of messages from Eastern Europeans saying <laughs> uh, your timeline charts and your family tree charts are really lacking uh, in Eastern Europe. They're like you need to rename that Western Europe uh, chart. Okay, okay. By the way, be ready for some like if you're doing Balkan stuff, just saying yeah. be ready for some stuff. I know. Yeah, I am ready for it. <laughs> well, I'm not ready, but <laughs> I know it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to what we were saying. So um, this the same is kind of true for the family tree charts, but it goes one more level. Um, I think uh, put aside monarchy for a second and, and just talk about genealogy in general. Mm -hmm. um, the useful thing with genealogy uh, is that it's something that is kind of hardwired into our brains as humans. And what I'm talking about is 
we kind of all know what a grandfather is and a grandmother. Um, and we know what an uncle is and a cousin. Um, the further out, it gets a little bit more complicated. But we, we kind of, the idea of a family is, is hardwired into our brain. Even if you weren't raised, say, by two biological parents, um, we kind of all are very familiar with average generation length, um, you know, these sorts of things. So if you have a chart um, and, you know, in my charts, I'm using kings and queens because, you know, if you go back a thousand years ago, there simply isn't information on Joe the farmer and who his grandfather was. But there's plenty of information on who, you know, the king of France was and who his uncle and nephew and so forth was. Um, but if you if you're putting history on a chart as like a genealogy chart, um, it's very easy for the human brain to then uh, get a perspective. Because if you look at that chart and you say, okay, um, King George III was Queen Victoria's grandfather, uh, most people in their mind say, you know, they can quickly say, okay, that's about 50, 60 years difference, time difference. So it kind of helps people get an idea of time. Um, like we were talking about earlier, most people learn about history uh, just as points and they don't know how those points relate so if they're studying um a topic i'm, I'm going to rely on british history because i know it the best you know and if they're learning about henry the eighth and he had six wives and then they're learning about the wars of the roses or then they're learning about uh, charles ii lost his head you know they learn all these things as points but they don't realize how they're related to each other in time, like how much time happened between these things. Um, and if you see it as a family tree and you realize, ah, oh, okay, okay, this is the great grandfather of this guy. And, oh, this guy's brother went off and started this line over here. Okay. It kind of gives people an, uh, a way to connect events um, in a way that they understand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, uh, it helps give you that personal story because a lot of times people uh, usually know history through like stories of people. So it's yeah. easier to remember like a, a, a deed some kind of a king made, like some kind of epic, I don't know, speech, and then they went off to fight a war. But in a story, it's easier to remember and understand that than... Uh, yeah memorize a date of a battle and the name of it like yeah i mean a lot of historians uh you know these days they complain about how we used to do history and say you know history used to be focused on dates and like big big names right and nowadays historians like to focus on well what was it like for the average person and so forth and i think there's a lot of truth to that but at the same time um the only information we have a lot of times when you go back is the lives of these, you know, big, famous, royal, noble people. Um, and on one hand, you know, we can't really relate to them because they were super rich and had castles and gold and all that. But on the other hand, we can relate to them because you know what? They were humans. What did they do? They cheated on their wives. They had affairs. They, they were jealous of their brothers or, or, you know, the guy who lived across the river. So they had quarrels. They had fights. They, you know, they did all the same things that humans today do. 
and we can relate to that and you know or they had these like you know problems where you know their son was going to inherit everything and then the son suddenly died and it was a tragedy okay what are we going to do now or or they want you know this daughter to marry this person i mean these things still do happen today even in people's lives that aren't kings and queens people still have affairs they still have rivalries um you know they still lose children unfortunately um you know crises come up tragedies come up and so when we read these stories in the past even though they're kings and queens we can relate to it yes yes exactly so it's easier for people to uh understand that uh yeah. i mean look at i i know you're not a fan of game of thrones i noticed that on twitter but a lot of people like game of thrones or similar uh tv shows or movies um and i mean if you think about how many movies are about um kings and queens or you know this these type of people uh, i mean these are obviously fictional worlds but they're based kind of on the medieval world yes and uh because it really appeals to people even though on one level they can't relate to it because you know they never uh rode a horse into battle but on the other hand they kind of can relate to it because the emotions that are happening uh most people do relate to it and that's why these tv sh shows are so popular <laughs> that's why your isn't your game of thrones chart like the most viewed video on youtube yeah that's definitely um one that i created purposely because i knew it would do well <laughs> uh, i'm not a huge game of thrones fan i did watch the series i i liked it but i'm not like a, a big nerd about it or anything yeah. um but it kind of just made sense and people asked me well you make all these family trees why don't you make one you know of game of thrones and i was like you know what that'll probably do really well i'm gonna do it and it did yeah unfortunately i did it before jack started helping me with the audio and so forth so and i pronounced a bunch of names wrong and people st i still get like really angry comments about that I mean, it's, I find it really funny that, you know, I, I have all these historical videos, you know, and I'm trying to pronounce Chinese names and German names and all this. And I, I get some angry comments about that too, but most of the time people are polite and they're like, um, you know, actually this is how you pronounce this name in our country. Right. But when I pronounce like a game of Thrones character, you know, name wrong, like I, instead of, um, Catelyn, I said, Caitlin. I mean, people were just so angry. I mean, they basically gave me death threats. Like, how dare you mispronounce my favorite character's name? And you're such, you're stupid. And, uh, oh, man. That's that's fandoms for you. It literally... I know. Some people, they take things way too seriously. Yeah. And then imagine imagine when they do that with actual history. Then, yeah. Then, then you end up with nationalists. And, yes. And... Oh, and don't get me started on, uh, I mistakenly, um, I learned this one. I called Alexander the Great a Macedonian, or I said he was Macedonian instead of Greek. And um, Which yeah, is that's... true. Like I know, yeah. but I, I didn't explain it enough. And so people just took it at like the literal words. Yeah. And yeah. But I mean, the good side of that is the more comments you get on videos, it's good for the algorithm. So yeah. 
Uh, maybe I should do more mistakes like that. <laughs> oh, oh, Kogito mentioned this in a podcast way back. One of his most watched videos was one where he made a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, he accidentally uh, cut, he showed the map of India and he cut the uh, uh, eastern part of India that goes around Bangladesh. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he accidentally did it because like it's only connected by a little bit and he used like a like a select tool in in Photoshop to cut out like the yeah. color and it didn't select it so it cut it out accidentally and he got like a thousand or more comments about how dare yeah. he cut off that part of India that's right and and it's one of his best like viewed video and he was yeah. he, he said like ever since then I just always think of just putting a major mistake in my video yeah <laughs> It's like, have you ever seen New Zealanders? They get mad because there's so many world maps that cut off New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Never noticed that, but yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, it's hard to be a New Zealander. It's a tough it's a, life. It's a tough, you don't even exist. Your, content, yeah, exactly. your, your country doesn't even exist. What did I want to say? Uh, oh, we were talking about genealogy and um, how people can relate um, to these stories, even though they're kings and queens. Also, how it helps. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of get, give people a perspective on time. Like we understand generation length almost intuitively. Uh, so to see it all connected. Um, and uh, like earlier, I was talking, just say I gave some examples using British history. But one of the things I did with my European royal family tree chart, which I've never seen anyone else do, is that I combined all the countries together. Uh, because as we all know, all these families intermarried. And it was often the conflicts that happened because of that, or deaths or tragedies that actually impacted history. I mean, so, you know, we have the war of the Spanish succession, the war of the Austrian succession, it's all it, it all happens simply because, you know, somebody had a daughter instead of a son or somebody got married and somebody died. And so suddenly, you know, or somebody didn't have any kids or they didn't like their wife. So they slept with their mistress and didn't have a legitimate child. I mean, all of these things in history, these big wars, even the literally the creation of countries and nations often boiled down to simple family dynamics family squabbles yes yes that is very interesting to think about definitely so uh, when you see it on a chart like a lot of people when they study say the british monarchy they only look at the british monarchy you know and they don't realize how many times that family intermarried you know with the french or later with german uh, dynasties or, or you know and all these countries are connected I'm working on the Eastern Europe one now and, you know, even the Eastern Europe countries, how much they're intermarried with some of the Western European countries. And like I say, it impacted often even the creation of nation states. When you're, you're saying about Eastern Europe, when you mentioned that, I was just thinking, uh, are you are you going to do Moravia too? Because I was just wondering, like the Moravian Kingdom. Yeah, I... It's, it's going to depend a little bit on how much space I have. Okay. Again, um, I do things, let's just call it Kagito style. Okay. Um, I kind of just start the chart and, and then I, and then I make it as I go. Like I don't, I plan it out a little bit. 
Yeah. Uh, but I kind of have to make tweaks as I go based on how much room. So generally speaking, like what I did with the Western Europe one, um, I only uh, focused on lineages that were uh, kings and queens. So, I mean, you also have grand dukes and princes and, and so forth, often smaller countries. So I focused on those that were kingdoms. So I'm kind of doing the same on Eastern Europe. Like whenever a country had the level of kingdom, I'm putting that on the chart first. So I'm starting like with the big ones like Poland and Hungary and, and um, so forth. Uh, and then depending on how much space I have, I'll fit in some smaller. Um... By the way, uh, yep. not to be a particular, but uh, Moravia was technically a kingdom because in Frankish annals, uh, it's like rulers were written as Rex, which means king. Nice. See, I haven't Just got saying. to that point yet. Yeah, I haven't got to that point yet, so I, I don't even know. But if but, that's uh, the case, then they probably will be on the chart. But do you, what are the dates that they were um, kings? It, well, it was mostly like late 8th to like 8th century to like end of 900, 907 at the Battle of Pressburg. It ended. But what I right, wanted to say... This... Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it, I was just I... going to say the chart. the chart's going to start at about the year 800. Mm -hmm. So it, it, if they are kings there, it would be right at the top of the chart. And then if you say it stopped around the 9th century, it, it might not go very far. It's Yeah, it wasn't a long kingdom. It only lasted around like 100 years, uh, okay. which in and of itself, 100 years is a lot, but not for a kingdom. Well, if, uh, if they're there, they're there. Because you know what? I put King, uh, what's the guy's name? King Zog huh? of Albania. I don't There's even know a guy. That. <laughs> There's a guy, he was the king of Albania. They only had one king. Uh, it was the early 20th century. His, and his name is King Zog. Oh, the Z 20th century. Z-O-G. Okay. Yeah, okay. Z-O-G. King Zog. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I thought I, you were talking about... I put about King like, Zog. Yeah, I thought you were talking about medieval history. No. I was like, what? So if I put King Zog, I'm going to have to put a king of... of um, Moravia. Moravia, yeah. Uh, I just, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say that like it only lasted for a bit, and there were only three people: uh, Moimir, then his nephew, and then his like uncle or something. It was like weird. It didn't go down like a normal uh, uh, succession would due to some weird political stuff. Uh, yeah. But uh, because it was just only like three or four kings, I would completely understand if you don't put it in. Because it, it was there wasn't much happening there uh, when no, you consider the I'm, family. I'm tree. looking at I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. I'm totally gonna put it in because <laughs> it's basically 820 to 894. So usually the top of the chart is pretty bare. So I'm I'm thinking yeah. there's gonna be some room. 894 and technically after 894, I have I I have a bunch of books on this, but I have a book of Fredegard or who was it some Frankish analyst I can't remember basically has translated stuff yeah and uh, which is like one of the two or three only written sources we have about the kingdom yeah and uh, basically he talks about like these people but because we have only like these th two or three sources there's not much we know about their families for certain Right. Yeah, a lot of this is just speculation. So that's why like it might be pretty hard to like figure out stuff with them. And also like after 18 895 or whenever, technically there was still 
his sons that divided up the kingdom because it wasn't back then it wasn't like the other oh, son gets everything it divided up so yeah. uh technically there were still successions after him dukes until the Magyars conquered it in 905 906 yeah it looks like i'm just looking at wikipedia wikipedia yeah. is using the term duke um for most of these guys yeah well that's not true i have yeah. i have well, the pro- frankish annals to prove it <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm I'm running into this problem with Eastern European countries. You know, they use different terms, right? And mm-hmm. so it's the Western Europeans that are, you know, writing the sources that we're using. And then, Basically, you know, yeah. we're like, okay, so what did this term mean? Uh, we don't know. We have to use what they thought it meant. Yeah, and- also, also like, uh, there's a Byzantine record of Moravia where it calls it the Great Moravia, which usually in Byzantine records means like empire. It's like mm. Great Frankish, uh, yeah. Great Frankish kingdom means like the Frankish empire. Yeah. Uh, but in this sense, the way it's written, uh, most translation, most translators of all Greek said like the great in this sense doesn't mean like it was a moravian empire because obviously the czech and slovak nationalists took it to mean like oh we had an empire guys and that's what Mm. we actually learned in school when i went to school we we learned we had an empire uh but actually when i looked into it the great and that translation just means great as in like it was a great length from the byzantine empire not great Mm. as a byzantine kingdom not great as in like uh, it was an empire so there's just like some nuance there that you have to look into and then there and then there's like for example uh after i can't remember who the first king was of the moravian kingdom he was technically a duke then he defeated the franks then they started calling him a king then there was like yeah. a succession struggle after which it was again a duchy then they like defeated the franks again became independent they started calling them kings again so that's why i guess wikipedia calls them dukes because they went through like a lot of political struggle in that 100 year period at which point sometimes it was a duchy the further back you go especially when you get into the early medieval period um these terms were not really um set in stone yet Mm -hmm. and so they're often used interchangeably and willy-nilly because you know and it was, I mean, what really matters is not what a person calls themselves, uh, but what other people consider them. Yes. I mean, you get a lot of these guys that were like, hey, I'm the king of this little thing. And the other kings around them are like, no, you're not. You know, you're nobody. So, yeah, there's a lot of different words and titles thrown around in that period um, of history. So, but I'm, I will definitely look into all that. Yeah. And then there's like a Samos kingdom in 650. Was, yeah, I just saw that. Which was literally like a, what, 30-year-old king? It was like a guy came in. He Well, if you watch my Western Slavic history video, it's all explained. He comes in. He rallies the tribes against the Avars, creates a kingdom for like a 30 years. An actual kingdom. Like the Franks actually sent emissaries to him to like make an alliance with the king of, uh, with, the, with the king Samo. That's what it literally says in the uh, annals. King Samo, king of the Slav- Slavs, uh, even though he wasn't Slavic at all, he was technically a Frankish person. Um, mm. So, uh, and again, that was like one king, and he wasn't related to anyone. He wasn't even a nobleman; he was a merchant. Yeah. <laughs> so, you have like sometimes weird stuff like this that is interesting, uh, 
because it, like a commoner some somehow is elevated to being a king due to like political reasons oh well that that often happened i mean that's how all yeah. these lineages started um but no if, if you want to end up on a useful chart chart uh you know a thousand years uh from when you were the the little king of something um yeah, you, you have to have at least a son and a grandson and a great grandson. I mean, otherwise, come on. What were you doing? <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah, you just just had a kingdom and then failed to centralize it enough. Yeah, enough, that's right. Basically. But sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry for what? <laughs> no, I'm like, sorry, Samo, you know, oh, you're no oh. ha you're no Habsburg, you know? <laughs> well, that's just a straight line. Uh <laughs> Well, it's more of a circle, they say. Or, or oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> oh, there's so many memes about them. Yeah, it's funny, though, because in studying it, it's not just the Habsburgs, although they were pretty bad. I tell you, when I did my ancient history chart, the Ptolemies. Uh, yeah, I was about to say they, the Egyptian they, Ptolemies. Oh, uh, they make the Habsburgs look like nothing. Not just the Ptolemies, like Egyptians in general. Like the Ptolemies yeah. just adopted the Egyptian... Like practice that practice, already existed. Yeah, yeah, that already existed, basically. Yeah. Which yeah, was... But, <laughs> but unfortunately for the Ptolemies, there's all these records, like, like you know, that can't be disputed. So it's like, <laughs> it's known for all of history now, guys, what you were doing. <laughs> it's pretty gross. We know about it. Can't yeah. hide from it. You can't reinterpret the statue. Oh, no, that really didn't, uh, you know, no, it's pretty clear. The Greeks wrote it down. <laughs> and then and then you have uh, uh rothschilds the one you did were also yeah i didn't i didn't realize that until i started looking into the family like wow a lot of cousin marriages yeah yeah it's like, wow. that is actually well known yeah. here like we because uh uh we know them they had the austrian branch right here so uh we know that and they also they intermarried mostly to like keep the wealth in the family so it yeah. wouldn't like be but that, that was actually common i mean everything pre-darwin you know it was all cousin marriages in a lot of places in europe and then darwin you know writes his work and people are like oh hmm maybe that's not such a great idea and then all of a sudden you know cousin marriage is uh, not so popular anymore yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly especially in like small communities in like valleys and stuff. Uh, let's go on to the next topic, which sure. is, <laughs> we talked about lineages. So I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I was thinking that we could say our own lineages. Sure. Uh, I know you had a, a video with, uh, was it 23andMe or something? With yep. one of those uh, where they give you your DNA and stuff and you find out. Uh, I guess I don't really need that because. <laughs> like, Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day that for a lot of Europeans, like it's useless. Like if you're yeah. some English farmer from Yorkshire, you know, and it'll come back and it's like, yeah, you're 99% English and 1% Scandinavian, you know. Why well, actually I don't know. There's Scandinavians probably a little higher. You know those Vikings. They they love to raid. But but even the then, like there, but... you can be like, okay, you're seventy five percent English, twenty five percent Scandinavian, and then you're like, okay, great. Like I knew that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> tell me something I don't know. 
Yeah. But for Americans, it's it's very interesting because a lot of people in North America, um, you know, we're we're a mix, and we often a lot of people don't know what they are, and yes. so it's it's kind of this fun surprise. Although uh, I don't know if you saw Mr. Beat's video about it a week yeah, ago. Yeah, I two did. Weeks ago. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I, I got well, the you know well, I watched start, it to get the result. At the start, he says about how like I don't want to say dumb, but like for lack of a better word, how dumb it is that people think about it that way. Like you're a person, you it mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're like yeah. some percent this, some percent that, and I find it. Like, because Europeans don't think about it like th that. Nobody in Europe is talking about like, oh, yeah, I'm 25% French uh, because yeah. some French settlers came in here or something. Like, that's not a thing. But then you come to America and everybody talks about it. And I found it right. very annoying because some people talked about it in a way as if they have like, I don't know, like some people talk about it in a way like they actually are german like i had people right. that talk about it like oh both of my grandparents from both sides are german i'm like 100 german i'm like okay great if you go to germany now nobody's going to consider you a german yeah exactly like yeah. you're american yeah so I, well I, I, I think that's because in in canada and america and australia and those kind of countries um people have a bit of an identity crisis sometimes you know they <sighs> especially yeah you know with you know, the demographics of those countries are changing a lot. So mm -hmm. you have, you know, Asian Americans, obviously African Americans and, and, and all these things. And so then, you know, these white people are like, well, what am I, you know? And so they want to like have some special adjective in front of their name <laughs> with a hyphen between it. Um, but uh, what I think is interesting for, you know, doing those DNA tests for Americans is you're right. A lot of Americans, they'll look at their grandparents and they'll be like, okay, my grandparents were both German, so I'm German. But when people do um, their family tree, they often focus only at, like on a few lines, like usually their paternal line, yeah. you know, because that's where the last name comes from. Uh, and then maybe their mom's paternal line. Yeah. And then, you know, they base their entire, um, you know, definition of themselves on that. Whereas, you know, you only have to go back four or five generations and you, you have 64 and 128 different people. Yeah. And the chances of them all, if you're American, all being from Germany is like almost zero. You probably have a little bit of Irish, a little bit of even Native American. You've got a little bit of everything in there. And that's why 23andMe can be fun because it'll show you the exact breakdown. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like I, I don't like when people especially in America, they seem to put too much of a oh, yeah. on it or too much, yeah. I don't know, just too much strength to that idea, which is not there. Like you're all Americans to anyone yeah. outside of America. You're all Americans. Well, there, there's two ways to go with it. You know, yeah. some people look at 23andMe and these as, as, as being negative because it kind of feeds uh, it or it can feed racism or, or kind of nationalistic views. Yeah. On the other hand, you can look at the results and realize, hey, most of us were a big mix. And if you go back far enough, we're all related somehow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was the point of my um, I did a video on how all Europeans are related to Charlemagne, <laughs> uh, including um, even people of color, you know, recently, because everybody's got, you know, everybody in their family tree somewhere. And the point was that we all connect, you know, one way or another. Um, 
you know, the, it, it was really funny though. A lot of people really didn't understand that video. Um, I got comments like, wait, you're saying that we're all Charlemagne's descendants. What about all the other people that lived back then? You know, didn't they have children too? I'm like, uh, you didn't understand, did you? <laughs> You're not like a direct line or something. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing how genealogy can be a very confusing topic for people. Like people don't understand how it works. And part of that is that if you make a family tree, you put yourself at the middle or at the bottom. And then there's this like, you know, tree that branches out. And so you kind of get this skewed view of how it all works because really there's all these multiple connections that you don't see on your family tree that way do you know what i'm talking about yes yes like yeah. you know or if you look at my family tree charts you know of kings and queens you have charlemagne at the top and queen elizabeth at the bottom and it looks like this you know straight line but there's millions literally millions of other lines that could be there that are you know not shown because you can't because it would be a mess um so genealogy is really this it's not even a bush it's a i don't know what it is ground Crazy. up coffee I don't know. <laughs> yeah it's just spaghetti spaghetti um, yeah yeah so i mean there's everybody's connected to everybody it's the bottom line if let's let's cut to the chase here so that the listeners <laughs> get the main point um yeah if you do a 23andme or you look at your genealogy i mean the main thing you should learn is that look we're all humans we're all you know related to one another one way or another so and you're all americans if you're in yeah. <laughs> if, if you're, you're if you're in canada you're all canadians so. yeah but see that see that's the problems with americans though is they define themselves as american and not like people humans <laughs> you know they'll say things like that will never happen in america or that should never happen in america like, okay, and I'm, I'm like I'm well that with... should never happen anywhere <laughs> true yes but like i'm fine with that because there's millions of people around the world that don't get out of their town, let alone like another state or something. That's true. And, and I feel like they don't, they, they wouldn't in their wildest dreams think about outside of what affects them there. And I understand that I cannot like fault them for that, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm fine with that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying like, you're, you're what, I guess it comes down to this. You're in whatever country you were born. That's what you are. Because as I have said many times, nationality and ethnicities are two different things and you shouldn't combine yeah. them. Uh, yeah. uh, so they, they shouldn't be mutually exclusive. Same thing goes to Slovakia has a large Hungarian population, obviously. So uh, I, Slovaks born in, uh, Hungarians born in Slovakia are ethnically Hungarian, but they're Slovaks. I count them as Slovaks mm. because they're Slovak citizens. And I always say that because lots of people don't just because they speak a different language. They even look the same as us. Like they just speak a different language, but they're still Slovaks. And that's what I wanted to say. Like you're American. I don't like, it doesn't matter. Like, yes, it's interesting to know your genealogy, but in the end you're American. That's where you live. So that's what I wanted to well, say. Well, you see, see, I have a slightly different perspective because I'm Canadian. And okay. 
Canadians are famous for having we have a very weak national identity. Oh, okay. Um we're mostly defined as being not American. Um <laughs> That's so, kind of true, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I mean we're one of the worst countries in terms of like being proud of, of our own country. Unless uh, hockey is, season comes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe in the Olympics if we're cheering for the hockey team, but <laughs> um yeah, we're very weak in terms of a national identity. So most of us are like what are you? I don't know. I'm a person. I live on Earth. Um, yeah. You're Canadian. You watch Canadian football. And, yeah. And well, hockey. And that, that's about it. We try, but, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> yep. But uh, to go back on topic. <laughs> yep. Oh, and by the way, maybe we should do a quick update on the subscriber oh. watch here. I don't think we're going to make it to 100,000. Yeah. yeah, I don't what, think Do you know either. what it was? What was it when it started? It was 99,820. Like so we gained like okay. 16 subscribers. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. We just lost one, but we gained it back. So, okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so not, not much happening here, sadly. Oh, well. Okay. But yes, continuing, I'll start my... Sure. My, well, I'm from Slovakia. Slovakia used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, it was under the Hungarian part of the empire, a non-autonomous part. There was lots of subdivision in Austria-Hungary. It was very complicated. Um, it was divided into Austria and Hungary, obviously, and then those parts were divided into smaller parts, and Hungary had autonomous regions and non-autonomous regions. Uh, Slovakia was a non-autonomous region, so we were basically treated as Hungarians in, in legal terms. Uh, uh, so lots of Slovaks have Hungarian mixed into them just because we were part of their kingdom for a thousand years, basically. Uh, and lots of Western Slovaks also have German uh, uh, some German ancestry due to the fact that lots of German, especially miners or skilled workers like blacksmiths, moved in from the HRE and Austria uh, into mm. uh, Western Slovakia. Uh, okay. For for example, the Sudetenland Germans, lots of them came into Slovakia as well. Uh, Sudetenland that, that, being the... that probably means we're cousins then. <laughs> so maybe, uh, but. Uh, for, so maybe somewhere along the line and back back in the day, uh, I those people may have intermarried into my family somehow. So I may have some German and Hungarian in me, but mostly it's all Slovak. Uh, we have a family tree uh, that dates back to the 16th century, uh, mm -hmm. which was mostly always there just because it was like kind of passed down. But we never really looked much into it. It was just like, oh, yeah, we have it. We hang it up. Uh, is, is that your father's side? Uh, my mom's side. That was my mother's side. And But since I knew you, I was going to talk to you, I was just like, I, I might as well look into it. Dig it out. Yeah. <laughs> so so I looked into it. I, I scoured the databases. Uh, mostly what, I, what you look for when it comes to this is church databases because they write down baptisms. Uh, yeah. So uh, I could I could follow that uh, the Austro-Hungarian baptism uh, writing uh, like writings to to see about the people. So what I found out is that uh, from my mother's side it's just Muggles. Uh, it's 
it's mostly mostly just farmers in the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, there's there's uh, from my grandfather's side, they came in actually from Hungary, uh, uh, as as uh, m not merchants as tanners. So there was like a profession in in medieval and then Vic uh, like Victorian Europe uh, as a tanner. So when you killed and skinned uh, animal, you would have to tan the skin. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and that that was a profession. They were called tanners. Yep. So yeah. uh, my grandfather's side is where Hungarian tanners that moved into the Carpat to the Slovak Carpathian Mountains, I presume because there was jobs available. You you realize that in North America, if anyone hears Carpathian Mountains, they just assume you're a vampire. <laughs> That's the only thing we know about that part of the world. So like you say Transylvania, and they're like vampires. You're all vampires. Uh, to 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 get back to that point. Well, first of all, the Carpathian Mountains stretch from uh, Bratislava, uh, which is right next to Vienna. So you could say like very close to Vienna, all the way. They go in like a in like a moon shaped semicircle uh, around the Pannonian Basin down into Romania, and they're basically just stalled by the Danube River. The Danube River is basically the river that like made the way and kind of splits the Carpathian and the Alps, making them two different mountains, yeah, uh, mountain ranges. So that's yeah. it. So the the Carpathian Mountains, North Northern Carpathian Mountains, are all in Slovakia, a little bit in Poland, and then most of them are in Romania. Yes, but going back to like Transylvania and Ro Transylvania is part of Romania <laughs> that used to be part of yeah. the Hungarian Kingdom. Uh, so yeah. my so my mom's side mostly far Slovak farmers, uh, sheep herders. Uh, that's what Slovaks mostly wear. Uh, outside of like my grandfather's side being tanners, Hungarian tanners, and then uh, from my dad's side, I found out that we may be distantly related to the Hungarian noble family of Lazar, mm. uh, which uh, lived in Transylvania, which was historically controlled by Hungary. And they even have a castle in Transylvania called Lazar Castle. Mm -hmm. uh, so I told you, vampires. <laughs> vampires. So I, that was interesting. So maybe I am a vampire. I'm a secret vampire yeah. and I don't even know about it. Well, it's interesting. You said that you, you probably connect to this noble line or whatever. Um, like distantly, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did this a video on this as well. Like we, every person connects to noble nobility somehow i mean trees get exactly. so large that you know you're gonna and that's how we can all connect to each other because if you can connect to the nobility you connect to a royal line and then those are the records that were kept so long ago and then you know you can connect to everybody through that so okay cool um yeah it, it's you know genealogy i don't know if in europe in general um if it's that popular of a hobby in in north america it definitely is no and not, can, not and that you, i know of well and it makes sense why it is that way because in europe like you just mentioned it's like hi i'm from uh, slovakia and all my ancestors were basically um from slovakia yeah exactly <laughs> and and it's like okay like the, <laughs> this is the tanners i mentioned they were like that 15th century part like the family tree i said from my mom's side that goes all the way to like the 15th century is literally like all slovaks i yeah. i basically just looked a bit further 
and found that like some tanners came in from Hungary. But like yeah. that that's about it. Everything else in that family tree were Slovak. So like even if I said like okay, yeah, I have some Hungarian in me, it would be what like 0.02% or something. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean in North America, it's a big hobby because like I say North Americans sometimes have a bit of an identity crisis because you know there for one thing most people in North America are a mix of a bunch of different ethnicities. Um, and they haven't, okay, they're American now maybe, but I mean, that goes back at the very, very most, usually 200, 300 years. And then before that, their, their ancestors came from somewhere else. So it's kind of more fun and more interesting for people in North America to figure out, okay, where did those people come from? Um, yeah. so my story is pretty typical of anyone from North America. I actually grew up on the East coast. I'm, I'm not from Vancouver originally. I'm from Nova Scotia. Isn't that most people from um, Vancouver? Uh, yeah. I mean, most people in the West come from the East. I mean, <laughs> this continent was settled East to West, uh, in terms of, you know, no, I mean, European like migration. Of, so most people like current people living in Vancouver not like historical people, but like most yeah. people I know, I know like, now when I think about it, I know a lot of people from Vancouver. I know like eight people from Vancouver and all of them are from like Eastern Canada. Right. Yeah. If they're European descent, I mean, obviously uh, we have a lot of Asians yeah, here and so yeah, they come true. from the other way. True. Um, we kind of meet, meet here in Vancouver and <laughs> eat a lot of sushi. <laughs> um, but um, okay, so my story uh, goes back to Nova Scotia, and I'm actually going to do a video on this. I'm going to join a collaboration with some genealogy channels in a couple months' time, cool. um, and they're doing a little bit of a collab uh, based on our. They're modeling after Project Revolution, uh, and uh, on a genealogy theme. Some people have been asking on my channel to know a little bit about my own genealogy. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to do a video a little bit on my own genealogy. Um, obviously, I'm not going to talk a lot about like my mom and dad and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'll keep that private, but further back. So in kind of preparing for that, um, my genealogy has three main migration stories. Uh, the first one, the big one, like most of my ancestors, um, came to Canada around 1750 mm -hmm. and they were of German descent. And the reason for that is uh, that was the time when things were kind of shifting from French control to British control uh, in North America. And so uh, the British, yeah, they were the British then, not the English, British, yes. The British had just captured Acadia, which was what the French called Nova Scotia. And so it was their colony now, uh, but all the people who lived there were still French and they were Catholic. And of course, the British, you know, they're like, we don't want to have a colony full of Catholics. So they're, they're like invited their British citizens. Why don't you come over? Well, the thing is, is not many people from Great Britain wanted to come over. Too cold. So they're like, yeah, what's the next best thing? Um, any Protestants over there on the continent want to come over to our new colony? And so a bunch of Germans and uh, some French Protestants and Swiss Protestants and so forth, they're like, okay, cool, we'll come over. Uh, and we, they called these people the foreign Protestants. Uh, they were foreign from the perspective of the British. Yeah. So they were given all this land and like a cow and two sheep and so forth <laughs> and, and said, okay, you know, here. Um, 
So yeah, most of my ancestors were German immigrants around 1750 um, who uh, yeah settled in Nova Scotia. Um, the big exception to that is that my uh, mother's mother, so my maternal grandmother was Irish and her family came from Ireland uh, in around 1850, which is when they had the big uh, potato famine and have to work in the word potato uh, for Cogito's sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we all know about the Irish and their potato problems. So um, 1850, big potato famine in Ireland, a bunch of Irish came over, not just to Canada, but America as well. So I have a little bit, I'm about quarter Irish. Yeah. Um, I wish I could do the accent. I love Irish accents, but I'm horrible at accents. Whenever I try to do an accent, I end up uh, sounding Sri Lankan because that's, <laughs> that's where I spent most of my time. And so that's the accent I can do really well. For um, me, it's Russian. And, so, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. If a North American tried to do a Slovak accent, we'd probably sound Russian anyway because yeah. we just think all Eastern Europeans sound Russian. Yeah. And it's it, okay. We're on a tangent here, but for north americans like if you do an evil accent for some reason it's always russian sounding <laughs> or british um sometimes like but like, no i would if i say most of the time it's a eastern european accents are considered kind of like these sinister you know i would bad say guy. i would say it's like two, it depends on the bad guy if it's like a sinister just evil bad guy it's russian if it's more mm. of that like moriarty thoughtful bad guy like thinks through a plan that's british yeah with the nice sports car then yeah, yeah. british <laughs> okay um but then actually the the line that i find the most interesting uh is i have one ancestor uh who was jewish an ashkenazi jew who settled in new york this is that my earliest ancestor to settle in north america he settled in new york just after new amsterdam fell Mm -hmm. um, so it went from being a Dutch colony to a British colony. Um, and there was a guy, his name was Moses Levy. And he was the richest man in New York City um, back in the day, <laughs> in like the 1690s Where's all that or money something. Now? <laughs> yeah. So instead of Trump Tower, it was like Moses Levy Tower or something. <laughs> I don't know. But he was like the richest dude in New York City. And... Um, there was some sort of family scandal. Some Somebody had a kid, I think, when they were too young, uh, based on the dates that I've looked at. And so that kid um, escaped up to Nova Scotia or ran away to Nova Scotia, uh, married a, a Christian girl, converted to Christianity, and, and kind of just merged into the little German uh, settlement up yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, I have that ancestry there which is is kind of neat because it it makes me like 0.1 percent jewish <laughs> so i'm like 0.002 percent from a noble family family and you're like yeah. 0.1 percent jewish <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's basically my genealogy yeah yeah uh i wanted to say when you mentioned the potato and irish most people when when it comes to that area of history they always think of the western migration but like you have to understand the Irish went everywhere where they could because they couldn't yeah, be in Ireland sure. anymore. So yeah. there was a lot of Irish migration throughout Europe as well. And 
uh, you can trace a lot of, uh, like, red-haired people, not in Ireland, like in Europe, to having some kind of an ancestor from that Irish migration. And uh, there's, like, there uh, because I read a read a book about this or something. I read a book about the Irish migration and they were talking about like, a, a, which interested me because it was close to home. They were talking about like some of the Irish people going all the way to Austria-Hungary and settling in Hungary and like a community somewhere in Hungary. And like when you go to that town today, like half of the town has like red hair, even though yeah. they're like completely Hungarian, they speak Hungarian and everything because it has been many generations but like they look Irish and I just found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those red hair jeans, um, they give people away. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. <laughs> but yes, uh, we can, we can end this, uh, podcast. Uh, cool. Do you have anything you want to add before we end it? Any last words to the listener? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not like okay, uh, I'll I'll plug your channel then. Uh, go look at useful cool. charts on YouTube. Also search useful charts online on Google to find whichever charts uh, you. Hold on, I just thought about this. You 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 just you just had a chart in like a, a sitcom or something in the background. Oh right, yeah, that came as a total surprise to me. Uh, someone wrote me and was like. Hey, is this what I think I saw your chart in a TV show and I didn't I hadn't heard of the TV show. I was like, oh, probably not, but I'll check it out. Um, and I went and it was actually it's it's a brand new sitcom show. It's one of these typical American shows based in a classroom. But this time the guy happens to be a history teacher. So I'm sure whoever was making the set, they probably just Googled history poster classroom and found my website and ordered a poster so they have like one of my posters on the wall there do you know which one it is um, yeah it's the timeline of world history okay cool. and it, sho it shows up quite a bit in the show like i watched the first episode and i i skimmed through some of the other episodes and uh yeah whenever the camera pans toward the right side of the room uh it's right there so i'm hoping that uh, some people see that and they google it because um, they didn't pay me or anything like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, they should have paid you for that. But, um, you know, a, a TV show, they can't, you know, pay for every T-shirt someone wears or, you know, logo or whatever. Oh, so I mean, if, if like I bet there's there's laws that govern that, like it has to be. Yeah, exactly. Like if they were to zoom in on yeah. it and like point at stuff, then yeah. But I mean, in a way, it's kind of like product placement for me, like mm -hmm. almost like I could I could have paid them to put it in the classroom. <laughs> it's like it's <laughs> like when Windows and Apple it, so. pays like the big yeah. movie budgets to have their like stuff in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's pretty neat. That's um, yeah. So if you want to if you want a historical chart uh, about royal families or uh, the timeline or anything, that's in an actual TV show. Uh, go to Useful Charts. <laughs> I bet if you Google it, you'll find it. Uh, it's usefulcharts.com. And uh, as always, I, I'm Emlazer. I have a channel with the same name. Actually, Emlazer History now. I rebranded a bit by adding an extra word. Uh, and uh, that's about it. Thank you for uh, listening. And I will have another podcast ready 
at some point when I'll have it ready. But I promise it won't be as long as the past few months. You won't have to wait as long. So see you guys. Thank you for listening.